Well, hello, I'm Neil Taylor, and this is episode three of Let's Talk About It, a podcast from Erwin Mitchell, all about the ability in disability. This time, we're talking about work with occupational therapist Mandy Richmond, employment lawyer Emily Cole, and Dean Harding, who works with the survivors of brain injuries and their families, and got back to work after he suffered a brain injury himself. Here's what's coming up. It's lovely, what's lovely? Gives you that sense of normality. If you're a service provider and you employ disabled people, you will be a lot more in tune to what disabled people need. The psychological element is probably more important than anything else. That sense of being purposeful, productive, contributing towards society. We'll be talking about what work does for you, what having disabled people in the workforce does for organisations, and your rights. So let's talk about it. So, hello folks. Hello. Morning. Good morning. So, we just need to know who's who. Dean, it's going to be fairly obvious what you sound like. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm the only, apart from yourself, the male here. You are the male. Uh, Mandy. Mandy Richmond. Lovely. And Emily Cole. So, I'm going to start off with Dean. So, Dean, tell us why you're here. What happened to you and what are you doing now? In 1998, I, got, I was assaulted. Um, I went through years and years of rehabilitation. Um, around about 2015, my, my, my life changed for the, the better. My partner had, um, gave birth to a little baby boy. Um, I bought my own house, my first house. And I got a job with Headways London. And you say, I got a job like that? Just well, I didn't give, I weren't given the job. I applied, uh, 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 like everyone else, I was. I interviewed for the job and I, and I, and I, I was um, offered the job. It's a peer support worker, so um, basically I, I support other people and share my experience with family members and people who have had a, a brain injury just because I can talk about the experience. And... You say you got a job in 2015, 15, yeah. And you weren't working before that? No, So no, why weren't working. you working before that? I was, um, because I just didn't think I was capable. And like, I knew that the birth of my son was going to be imminent. Um, I didn't want him growing up thinking, why am my dad working? Every, everyone, well, most people work. It's not what they're supposed to. Um, it gives me a sense of, Feeling like a normal person, although I've still got my 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 um, disabilities. And this might be too intrusive a question, so you can tell me to shut up if you want to. But when you said you didn't feel capable before, why didn't you feel capable? Well, because just because of the um, disabilities. Because if you you got a disability, it's portrayed that you can't, you're useless, you can't do nothing. I was told by my consultant, neurologist. I don't know if he tried to um, kick-start me into doing something, but he said, I will never have a meaningful job. To me, I've, got, I've now got a meaningful life. So I sort of blew him out of the water, you know, so... Good. <laughs> and lots of people moan about their job, right? It gets to Sunday night and people are like, oh, blimey, work in the morning. Is it still like that for you? No, no, because I, I, I've, I haven't got a, a money to Friday job. My mine's um is tailored to suit me and my and my needs because of um 
the disabilities. And how's it tailored? How would you work differently to right, me? So I've well, I don't know if I work different to you, <laughs> but um, but I do two days a week, and I can't do two consecutive days because of the when I go to work the next day, the days not even worth mentioning. Um, I struggle. Um, I only do four hours. So, Mandy, you're an occupational therapist. I am indeed. How similar or different is what Dean's talking about to other people that you work with? Well, I work with a range um, of people with varying disabilities, but each requires some kind of structure to their day. uh, And work, Dean, you sound like you're much happier since you found work. Mm. And why is that? Because I feel like I'm... I feel... I'll go back to that word again. I feel more Mm. normal. I feel like one of society. So I can join in conversations where people, they're talking about work, say they're in in a social environment talking about work. I just used to sit there and, and, and I couldn't get involved in a conversation because I didn't work. But now, now I can get involved. And Dean, you've picked up on uh, a very important reason why people need work, and that's the social yeah. aspect of going to work. Having somebody to talk to and having something to talk about. Um, and so in terms of a psychological uh, benefit to work, uh, that must be it. One of the yeah. primary reasons why. Yeah, your well-being as well. Like, it's, it's, it's lovely. Work's lovely. Yeah. Gives you that sense of normality. And one of my roles as an occupational yeah. therapist is to encourage people with disability to return to some form of vocation, and whether that be recreational, leisure, paid employment or voluntary, it doesn't matter. And Dean's been talking quite a lot about the psychological side of it. How much is this physical versus psychological versus anything else? Gosh, I would say the psychological element is probably more important than anything else. That sense of being purposeful, productive, contributing towards society, being having something to say about what you do and how you do it. Um, and as long as the environment lends itself, I think the best is if there's a fit between the individual with a disability and the work itself. So to me, if there's a right fit the psychological benefits would be amazing. If there's the wrong fit, however, if the hours are too long, the start time is too early, that person with a disability can actually feel under pressure. And that process of sussing out where you fit and what you might be able to do, how does that process work? If I came to see you, what happens? It would start with an assessment. I would have to make some kind of an assessment and an understanding of what it is you can and cannot do uh, and then look at what kind of work you are thinking of doing uh, and seeing if that workplace can be adapted or, in fact, is there a fit between that type of work and your disability. And that might be a physical disability or a co- cognitive or psychological disability. Um, legally, under the Equality Act, um, all employers have a duty to make reasonable adjustments to support a disabled employee um, in terms of removing any substantial disadvantage they have in the workplace. But who decides what's reasonable and what is substantial and all those yeah. words you just use? <laughs> so um, often it is, I mean, it's essentially an objective um, decision, 
but um, what what tends to happen is that occupational health will be involved, medical professionals will be involved, but it it, it will unfortunately come down to the employer to look at what those what those adjustments are and whether they can reasonably um, sort of action them in terms of the workplace. So it, again, it it will always depend on the specific facts and circumstances. And if the assessment says these are the reasonable adjustments you need to make in this workplace, does the employer have to do it? Um, legally, yes, if those adjustments are reasonable. So, um, for example, things like a staged return, um, later start time, earlier finish, breaks, all of that, are re- you know, that should be reasonable in any workplace, quite frankly. Um, the difficulty is, is sometimes the mismatch between an employer understanding or taking on their responsibilities under the Equality Act and then and actually um, doing them to the benefit of, of that individual. And unfortunately, that's where I will frequently come in and try and persuade them as best I can. Um, um, and, you know, often we are able to do that. Um, it, sadly, in some circumstances, we can't. And that's where we end up going to, to the employment tribunal. And not only that, you see see us, so I'm talking about, I'm talking about disability from a brain injury perspective. You, you don't want to, you don't want to be told you can't do something. So if you, so I'm, so I co-facilitate um, a support group. So there's many people who have who just come out of hospital and things like that, and they want to go back to work. They don't realise the impact of, of what their brain injury is going to have on them. And they, they want to go back to work full-time. And possibly sometimes too soon. Yeah, they? too soon. So we, we, just, we you try and, in, in a gently kind of way, because you you've got to be mindful of their well-being as well, because they've got to pay their mortgage and, and things like that. And they don't... Um, they don't really listen to it, really. They 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 just try and, and then they end up in a in a in a vicious cycle where their mental wealth deteriorates. Then it has an impact on their family life, and then that that becomes the family life then becomes fragile and broken. Do you know, so there's a lot of impact on employment has a lot of impact on like it's wider ranging. Dean raises a good point where we were talking about the employer. It's also the person themselves has to be aware of their own limitations yeah. um, before they can put themselves into that workplace environment in any event. That's but you right. get lots of people with post-injury who are desperate to get yeah, back desperate. to they work. They just want to go back to the life they had before because they're not quite, they can't come to terms with that the, their life in one in in 30 seconds whatever has changed forever and they're not willing to accept that got a big nod from you mandy definitely that's a real issue the very often people that i work with with brain injury particularly brain injury have their accident and immediately want to return to work and will actually do that can go back to work and cannot cope so given your various different expertise, let's talk about this in an ideal world then. If you all were advising someone from the path of deciding, yeah, I do want to work, to, to doing whatever it is they end up doing, what, what, how should that process work? Take it slow. Take it slow and, and, and um, gradually, if you probably start from minimal hours... And if you if gradually, if you feel capable, build it up. 
And I think, Dean, you strike a note when you say that. It means that you are totally at one with understanding what it is you can cope with and what you can't cope mm. with. And that would be a good start point for anybody who wants to return to work. Have a very clear understanding of your own ability and disability, what you can and what you can't do, so that there's this perfect fit or match. And you could ask for advice from your therapists who might be working with you or from your support network to help you decide what it is and to negotiate um, like you've done a later start time. Um, I know some situations where somebody might take an, two hours to get through their personal care routine if they were doing it themselves. But if they got somebody to help them, that whole routine could take half an hour, leaving much more time to go to work and do something much more meaningful and productive uh, and enjoyable. And how do you find a job? How do you find an employer where this stuff will work? Well, that's hard. That is hard because there's a lot of people who come to the support groups who, who are trying to go back to, like, going back to work, but the employer won't make the reasonable adjustments. It helps to have a sympathetic employer, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like Headway, who have who are willing and understand your yeah, disability. That's what they are. Yes, um, sometimes hospitals are quite good, or care environments are good at uh, employing younger people with autism or brain injury. Um, but it does require the employer to be committed to wanting to employ people with disabilities. And Emily, if I apply for a job and I've got a disability, what happens in that situation? So, I mean, I always advise clients to be open and honest um, and disclose their disability from the outset. Um, then you can talk about what reasonable adjustments you need to support you in just the interview and application process because legally under the Equality Act you're covered as an applicant so not just once you've got the job but also if there are things that need to happen in the interview um, and with the way the application form is, is set up to make it easier for you to have a successful potential application then you should communicate that. Um, and luck luckily, most employers seem to be quite good at, at that sort of initial stage, um, in my experience. But I think perhaps that's because they are probably sort of almost self-censoring where they apply to, perhaps. And so they're looking for, for places that have a well-publicised diversity policy and, and are committed to supporting disabled employees. I suppose we do have this culture now where you know, a lot of jobs are very stressful, very demanding, and if you can't cut it, you know, you're, it's like, well, get out, the, you know, if you can't take the heat, get out the kitchen. And I think a lot needs to be done to educate people that actually someone with a disability, we need to work with them to support them in doing that job um, and not just sort of discard them because it makes life a bit difficult for you um, as an employer or as, or as an HR advisor. I would say over the course of my career, which is about 25 years, there has been a very positive shift, though, uh, in, in the UK toward having a greater understanding of people with disability. And I wonder if that also came through from the Paralympic sports and the growth within that industry and people's attention drawn to that. So although it's not perfect, it's certainly, no, I think, it improving, moving in yeah, the right it's, direction. It's definitely improving. I would... I just like just a little thing. It's never happened to me. I, I was at um, Tottenham Court Road, and I was 
I didn't know where I was. It's a new state. I didn't know where I was. I was all over the place. See, there was um, a lady, um, customer experience team. Never happened to me before. And he said, and many a times I, I've, I've, I'm lost. Um, she come and she come and took me from from the platform all the way and and advised me I should go Gooch Street instead of of, of and she took me at, at, to the um, Northern Line. She like she took me down and then she took me back up because I explained to her what I wanted, and I thought that was brilliant. Her name was Max Power. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's just got a Christmas bonus, yeah. well, Dean. <laughs> uh, but that's brilliant, yeah. isn't it? So, like, but and I said, Do you know what? Uh, this has never happened to me. And then I went below, behold, and what happens? A manager walked past. So I, I said to her, I went to a manager, see this one, you, she's a diamond. You should get the rest of them to, um, to work how she's working. So we've been talking quite a lot about what the employer is doing almost to accommodate the person with the disability. But what does the employer get out of it? I mean, what does having people with a disability working in your organisation, how does that change your organisation? I, I mean, I, just, I know there's been a lot of studies recently mm. that show that actually having a diverse workforce makes you more profitable. Um, more productive. Absolutely. And... Um, if you've got people with various different cognitive skills um, as in a team, they're more likely to be creative and, and come up with solutions a lot quicker. Um, other, other benefits, I think, are that if you're a service provider and you employ disabled people, you will be a lot more in tune to what disabled people need and um, will then benefit mm. from the service that you give. And there's a whole market segment there that you're tapping into yeah. as, a, as, an, as an organisation. And don't underestimate, too, the impact that that disabled person will have on other colleagues in the workplace. I think it increases awareness and an understanding and Mm. an empathy um, and generally contributes overall to how society feel about people with disability in the workplace. Mm. What do you bring to your organisation, Dean? He's smiling. Um... I, I think no. I, I, well, my personal experience and um, speaks volumes, to be honest. So I think that I, I've I give the hope to a lot of people. And you get a kick out of yeah, helping other people. Yeah, I love it. You see, the the the, the role that I that I've got as a peer support worker, as part of the casework team, it, it was like made for me. I love it. You see, when I go in the hospitals, so like, so I go in the hospitals and and support the families and and the person, and uh, like, it's just when they make them smile and like they're tearful, and then I give them hope. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they they think, oh, so there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it took me years to get where I got, seventeen years to get a job. So never say never. So it's a long rehabilitation yeah, if you, path, and, and that's that's what you call perseverance, patience. Yeah, so it's not only um, all, all the good things that working brings, but the, what's really important is for your self-confidence and your self-esteem. Well, it just, it, it's another thing of making life meaningful. And what has that done for you? So your confidence has gone up. How How does that come through in your life 
Well, you can see me sitting here. Look, you, I, I, I don't lack no confidence. Like, I, I, I used to, um, I could used to stand up in front of 100 people and give a speech. It didn't bother me. I've got confidence and it's not a fake confidence. It's a, it's a real, real confidence. Um, even to the fact that if someone gives me a dirty look, I ask them what to look at that. <laughs> and I think what you really comes across, Dean, is how happy you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, um, I'm charismatic, I'm charming. Well, I'm going to stop this and, before it gets out of control. <laughs> <laughs> and you two can see it. Dean's face lights up when he talks about this stuff. What is your experience of what working can do for people? Oh, in terms of mem- feeling that they have a, a purpose in life is huge. And and I also want to though mention that it needn't actually have to be paid uh, employment. So I started off as a, a member at Headway, so I, at Headway East London. I then went on to be a volunteer, but I had multiple roles in volunteers. So I was working with um, the communications team and like doing a lot of press work. I, well, this you is can talk, can't about, you? Well, this, is, <laughs> I, this is how I know this is a small studio. <laughs> <laughs> Too small for Dean. <laughs> and then, um, and then, but what I've got great enjoyment out of is working with the, the younger people who've had a brain injury. Emily and Mandy, I guess you get a kick out of what you're doing as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I really like, um, I get a real buzz in supporting people getting back into work. Um, You know, that is essentially what we want to do, um, given the Equality Act and the the amount of rights that disabled people do actually have. um, I like to enforce those rights and ensure that the employer complies with them and inevitably then enable people to go back to gainful employment because you know what we haven't talked about is the is that financially a lot of people need to go back to work i mean it's a real pressure on them to do that so if there's ways in which we can find um for them to be able to go back to work so that they can essentially pay their mortgage um and look after their families then um you know that that's that's really important to me so access to work can help um, so that's a government organisation that can help fund um, support workers and, and grants for reasonable adjustment. So that's helpful where the employer might be saying, well, for financial reasons, we're struggling to make these adjustments. So um, people can talk to Access to Work and, and try and get a grant um, for, for support. And what about, Emily, if I'm an employee who's had an accident or has recently been diagnosed with something and I'm approaching my employer about that for the first time? What's the best way of going about that? So, um, you should, again, just be open and transparent. Um, I assume that you'll have had some time off, so they'll be aware of the injury. What you need to then do is have a really careful think about what it is that you need in terms of going back to work. So I always advise clients to speak to their doctor. So if they're being treated by their GP or another spe- specialist, speak to them, 
and talk about what it is that you need. It's also, if they do go to their doctor, take their job description That's a really with good them idea. so that they can present exactly what it is that their job has, requires them to yeah. do and whether they can get some medical advice on which aspects of that job would be difficult. Yeah. Um, and as an OT, we might also help in that process too. And if you've been off for quite some time and you've already been referred to at occupational health, Try and get another referral um, because actually you can then talk about practical steps that need to, to happen um, for your return to work. And if Occupational Health then writes a helpful report detailing what reasonable adjustments need to be made, it's very um, difficult for an employer to then not make those adjustments um, because normally they, they as the employer have instructed occupational health so they're almost like their experts so if they go against their own advisors it's not going to look good later on um, so although legally you actually don't have to tell your employer what reasonable adjustments you need um, practically I always advise people to do that I was going to um, ask about exactly that actually because clearly lots of what you do is legally here is X. But are there other things where practically in real life it's not quite the same? So I think the reasonable adjustments is the key one um, because legally once an employer is on notice of your disability, which they will be by virtue of an occupational health report, for example, um, then they have to make reasonable adjustments. Um, um, but in, in real life, employers actually expect you to tell them what they need. Um, and so if you put it in writing and make it very clear to them, Mandy gave the great example of, you know, cross-referencing your job description and what changes need to be made. They're, they're going to then look really bad if in six months' time they haven't made those changes and they're facing um, an employment tribunal claim. So then one last question. If you could change the way the world works just to make it easier for people with a disability to work... What would you do? Probably give them, give people um, a greater insight. There ain't a lot of people really that understand about a, a brain injury. I think there's a vast number of members of in society who have never actually met somebody with a disability or have never been and seen what it's like to live through an injury in a hospital. Um, and, yeah, if if somebody spent a day in the life of... Dean, spent a day with you to understand what it meant to have a brain yeah, injury lovely. or Pain a disability. <laughs> yeah, that could be my new vocation. I was about to say, I, I think we can send Dean out <laughs> to the country, can't we? Um, I, so I've got two suggestions. So um, the first one is that at the moment, the way the law functions is that it's you as the individual that has to bring the claim. Um, and I think we need to change the system so that the, the government um, or other bodies can actually bring claims on behalf of people. And I think that's what we have in the US, what they have in the US, because the, the system here is that we've got someone who has suffered a lot. Um, they've, you know, they've obviously already had a fight with their employer and then they've got to go and have a fight in the tribunal, in the court system. And, and, and they inevitably have to pay for that unless they happen to have insurance funding um, which it you know not everyone has, and it's it's just financially very difficult for people. So let's change that system because actually the law is there. We do have very powerful legislation. The problem is that employers aren't doing enough.
My second idea is that actually we, you know, we, we know that there's been a lot of discrimination and people um, have been discriminated against because of their disability. So actually maybe we need to look at quotas in terms of forcing companies to take on a certain percentage of disabled employees. And if they were forced to do that, they might actually look after people, their workforce better if they do have accidents or do get diagnosed with a serious illness. So we better stop so that Dean can take the calls from the agents who are going to inevitably try and employ him after this podcast. If you want to hear more about our guests or working with a disability, head to our webpage at erwinmitchell.com slash let's talk about it. And join us next time when we'll look at what living with a disability means for your home. I'm Neil Taylor and that was Let's Talk About It. Let's talk about it.